tonight's reading is from 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 23. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are ye not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are ye not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom ye believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, I'm a skilled master, builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care now how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is in Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, through he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and ye are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is fully with God, is fully with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word or the life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Sophie, for reading. That's a, a tricky reading, a very long one, 23 verses, uh, no easy feat. Uh, good evening, everyone. If we haven't met before, my name is Peter and I am one of the pastors here at Uni Church. Um, if this is your first evening with us, we, you're especially welcome, and I uh, would love to see you again next week, although obviously not in this building, as Trevor said. Here at Uni Church, we strive to have the Bible at the center of absolutely everything that we do. We believe what the Bible says about itself, that it is the living and active Word of God, that it is the sword of the Holy Spirit. It's the means that God the Holy Spirit uses to bring people to spiritual life. If you've been coming to Uni Church uh, for a while now, uh, you've probably heard me say this, and I'm going to keep saying it because I think it's really, really important. We need to align our thinking with the Bible and not align the Bible with our thinking. 
One of the most dangerous things that a person can do, one of the most dangerous things that a church can do, is come to the Bible, encounter something that they don't like, which happens to all of us, and then say, well, it can't mean that, because I don't think God works that way. I remember chatting uh, to uh, a woman, she was a couple of years older than me, uh, many years ago now, and uh, we were in a group together, and she, we were studying the book of Romans, and, uh, she, and she came to some of the tricky parts in Romans, and she said, I could never believe in a God who worked that way. She was, I don't know where she is now, but she was in a very dangerous position thinking that way. Because she was trying to align the Bible with what she thought, rather than align her thinking with the Bible. Uh, if you have been a part of Uni Church for a while now, you'll know that the Bible does say some pretty tricky things. Romans has some pretty tricky stuff in there. And if you stick with us this year as we work through 1 Corinthians, you'll see there's some pretty tricky stuff in here as well. But we need to work really, really hard to align our thinking with the Bible and not align the Bible with our thinking. And as we do that, we are following the example of the Lord Jesus himself. You might know in John chapter 10, Jesus is having a debate with the religious leaders, and he says, the scriptures cannot be broken. We must not align, bend, or break the scriptures to fit with what we think. We need to align, bend, and sometimes even break the way we think to fit with the Bible. Now, why am I going on about this? Well, as we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians, we have seen that the Corinthian church were not thinking God's way. They were thinking in a human way. You might have noticed, if you've been with us from the start, that over the past three chapters, Paul has used a number of images to describe the Corinthians' wrong thinking. He begins the letter proper in chapter 10, where he appeals to the Corinthians to have one mind. So thinking is a big part of Paul's thought in these opening four chapters. And that's in verse 10 of chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that you all agree there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind. In verse 20, he criticizes their thinking as being wise by the world's standards, but foolish according to God's standards. And we heard that wise folly language used again at the end of our reading. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he calls their way of thinking immature. In verse 14 of chapter 2, he calls it a human way of thinking as opposed to a spiritual, a godly way of thinking. And here in chapter 3, he sort of pulls all those strands together. And you'll see in verse 1, he summarizes the Corinthian way of thinking as fleshy, unspiritual, and infantile. Some pretty strong, harsh words from Paul, aren't they? Maybe not as sensitive as we might like him to be. Maybe not as politically correct as we try to, as, as we are today. But that's how Paul speaks. Because Paul wants the Corinthians to be of one mind, to have spiritual minds, to have minds that align with God and His Word, and not with the world 
around them. And what we're going to see as we continue through this letter is that the Corinthians were thinking wrongly about, well, virtually any issue that you could imagine. Their view of sexual ethics were skewed. Their personal relationships were skewed. Their view of marriage was skewed. Their view of worship was skewed. Their view of gender was skewed. Their view of the Lord's Supper was skewed. Their view on the gifts of the Spirit were skewed. And their view of the resurrection was skewed. That's what's coming uh, this year. You see, there's some tricky topics coming. Please pray for us as we prepare. Now, what's interesting is that Paul still calls the Corinthians Christians. Even though their thinking was skewed in all of these areas, he still calls them brothers. He he said that even in verse 1 of our reading, didn't he? He still calls them Christians, but they were not thinking like God thinks about these things. And what we see here in chapter 3 is that the Corinthians' view of the church was skewed. Now, if you've been with us, that's no surprise. We saw this uh, two weeks ago. The Corinthians thought, like many of us think, like I often find myself thinking, that the church would grow, that more people would become Christians if only, if only the message of Christianity was more appealing, if only the members of the church were more appealing, if only the messengers of the church were more appealing. But we saw Paul said that that way of thinking is upside down. It is the wrong way round. They were thinking in a human way, not God's way. And here in chapter 3, Paul returns to that question of how the church grows. And I think he wants the Corinthians to see three things, and by extension, he wants us to see three things. He wants the Corinthians to see that when it comes to Christians and when it comes to the church, number one, it is God that gives the growth. Number two, that even though God gives the growth, Christians and Christian leaders especially are still accountable. And that in light of this, number three, the Corinthians must think God's way and not their own way. I'll say that again. God gives the growth. Leaders still do the work, but they're accountable. And the Corinthians must think God's way, not their own way. When I actually look at the text now, you'll probably be glad to hear. Uh, I'm going to pray. I'd love it if you prayed with me as we open up God's Word. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, help us to align our thinking with the Bible and not align the Bible with our thinking. We ask this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, Please do uh, get your Bibles open if you've closed them, uh, whether that's digitally uh, or in paper. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 1 again. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, But God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We saw a few weeks ago, you might remember, that the Corinthian church was divided. They'd separated themselves into a number of factions, into a number of clubs, each claiming to be followers of Paul, followers of Apollos, followers of Peter. That's who Kephas is, the Aramaic form of Peter. And there was the really holy ones who said, well, we just follow Jesus. But they were just as much a problem of the factionalism as everyone else. And this factionalism, this leaderism, betrayed their upside-down thinking on how the church grows. We also saw two weeks ago that they thought, like many of us think, that the church grows because of the wisdom, because of the charisma, because of the giftedness of its leader. Seems so obvious, doesn't it? But Paul calls that way of thinking infantile, worldly, unspiritual, And so here, he reminds the Corinthians that even though he planted the church, he laid the foundation of Christ. And even though Apollos comes along afterwards and waters the church, it is God who gives the growth. What caused the Corinthian church to grow? Or rather, who caused the Corinthian church to grow? It was God. Now, it's worth remembering that this growth here isn't purely numerical. Christian growth is, first and foremost, growth in character, growth in godliness, growth in evangelistic zeal. Paul isn't saying that a big church is evidence of God's presence, neither is a small church evidence of God's absence. He's simply saying that as a church grows, it is God who gives the growth. Now, if you know your Bible well, in fact, if you were just here last week, that shouldn't really surprise you. Look up a few verses uh, to chapter 12, uh, of cha- uh, to verse 2, pardon me, verse 12 of chapter 2. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. God is in control. We saw this again and again and again in Romans last year, didn't we? God is sovereign. He is in control. Remember Romans 8? Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. How does the church grow? How does the Christian grow? God gives the growth. Yes, Paul planted. Yes, Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. The Corinthians could not understand this, not because they weren't Christians, but because they were spiritually immature. As Paul says, they think in human ways, not God's way. They hadn't aligned the Bible. They hadn't, sorry, they hadn't aligned their thinking with the Bible. They had aligned the Bible with their thinking. Now, if you are a Christian and you've thought about this concept that it is God who gives the growth, 
not humanity. My guess is that one of the first questions that comes to your mind is, well, if it is God who gives the growth, why bother? Why bother running the life course? Why bother going to growth group? Why bother doing anything if it is God who gives the growth? Can't we just sort of sit back and wait for God to work? My suspicion is, is that there are a number of churches out there who do believe that God gives the growth, but because of that, they sort of consciously or unconsciously don't do the work of evangelism. They don't really worry about discipleship, because after all, God is sovereign. He'll do the work, won't he? Is that how Paul thought about things? I'll just sort of sit back and let God get on with it. Absolutely not. He planted and Apollos watered. I'm pretty hopeless uh, when it comes to gardening uh, or anything sort of plant-related. My wife is much better at that than I am. But even I know that a plant won't grow if no seed has been sown. And the seed won't grow if there's no moisture near the seed. And when it comes to this question of God's sovereignty and human responsibility, what we find here in 1 Corinthians 3, what we find throughout the whole Bible is what theologians call, this is a big word, compatibilism. And all that means is that God is sovereign, He gives the growth, but Christians still have, and leaders especially, have the responsibility to be planting and watering. In other words, God's sovereignty, His control, and human responsibility aren't at odds with each other, they are compatible. Isn't that exactly what Paul says? Look at verse 9. For we, that's Paul and Apollos, are God's fellow workers. You, that's the Corinthian church, are God's field, God's building. God's sovereignty, His control over the growth of the church, the growth of Christians, is not a hindrance to evangelism. It's not a hindrance to growth in maturity. It's the motivation If God wasn't sovereign over salvation, why bother running the life course? It just wouldn't work. But God is sovereign, and He's calling people to Himself. And He calls on us to be His fellow workers, planting and watering the gospel, trusting that He will give the growth. We know that it is God who gives the growth. That's why we work. The Corinthians, well, they didn't think that way at all. Corinthians needed to think God's way about the church, not in human ways. And just because God gives the growth, that doesn't mean that Christian workers, Christian leaders, doesn't mean that they do nothing. It also doesn't mean that they're not accountable for the work they do. You might think, well, God's going to do the growth, so I'll do a little bit of work, but you know, I'm not going to put a lot of effort into it because, well, God's sovereign. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds in the foundation with gold, silver, stones, or wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. 
because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, the way I like to picture this little section of 1 Corinthians is Paul is talking about the work of the church together, and he says there are two ways that you can build the church, and then there's the third option where you destroy it. And he sort of paints this picture of these buildings. Uh, I, I like to imagine them on a conveyor belt going through a furnace. And you can build a house of gold, silver, precious stones. And as it goes through that furnace, well, what's going to come out the other side? It's going to be gold, silver, precious stones. But if you've built a house made of wood, hay, and straw, what's going to happen as it goes through that furnace? It's going to be destroyed. That's what Paul says the last day will be like when God judges the world, when God judges especially Christian leaders. Paul is reshaping how the Corinthians think about the church, and especially how they think about the role of the leaders in the church. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a growth group leader, I'm not a Sunday school teacher, I don't have any sort of ministry responsibilities, so this doesn't really apply to me, does it? Well, in the first instance, no, it doesn't. This section is first and foremost a severe warning to any of the leaders of God's people. The leader of God's people is building on the foundation of Jesus, and their building work will be judged on the last day. But we'll see in a moment, this doesn't only apply to Christian leaders. There's a warning here for all of us. Paul portrays three types of leaders of God's people and three outcomes of their leadership. There's the first kind who will build up God's people with gold, silver, and precious stones. And on the last day, they will be rewarded. The second group of leaders the leaders of God's people, will build up God's people, certainly look like they're building up God's people, but actually they're using pretty dodgy equipment, wood, hay, and straw, the three most flammable things you could think of. They will receive no reward. In fact, Paul says that they will escape judgment, but only by the skin of their teeth. And then there's the third type of person, the person who destroys God's people, and Paul says God will destroy them. Let me tell you, as a pastor, as a Christian leader, this is an especially scary passage. As I said, this is a passage primarily for Christian leaders, but it is a warning to all Christians too. How do you think about your place in the church? Are you involved in building up the church? Are you pointing people to Jesus? Are you involved in building up the church well? Are you maybe tearing it down a little bit? Are you pointing people to Jesus? Are you upholding the authority of Jesus' words? 
Are you working to maintain the unity of the church? The unity of the church's mission? You see, although this passage is primarily aimed at pastors and leaders, there's a warning here for all Christians. Look at verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. If anyone. There's a warning here. I've heard lots of stories of people who, because they don't like something about the church that they're a part of, tear the church apart from within. Sometimes it's through gossiping or slandering about the minister, about the leadership team, about other people in the congregation, spreading lies about people, sowing seeds of distrust. Sometimes it can be a little bit more subtle even than that. Well, I'm not going to go if that person's going. I'm not going to serve if they're serving. I've even heard of people in churches telling other people, don't serve in that ministry. You don't want to serve there, under them. Listen to verse 17 again. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. How do you think about church? Is church just a sort of club that you're a part of? A social event each week? Or is it God's holy temple? We often say that church is not a building, and that is absolutely right. The church is not this building that we're sitting, sitting in. The building that the church meets in is not the church. It's a rain shelter. Sometimes it's a warm rain shelter. Not in our, not in our case, but that's certainly the ideal. We are very sad that Uni Church has to move to the Lisburn Road for a short time. But Uni Church is moving. We're not moving church. Do you see the difference? The church is moving. We're not moving church. It's just one building to another. The mission remains the same. The identity remains the same. The church is not a building. And yet here we see, in another sense, the church, the people, are a building. We saw this uh, over the summer when we were in 1 Peter. Do you remember 1 Peter 1, 2, and 3? Uh, 1 Peter talks about the church as living stones built upon the foundation, the cornerstone, which is Christ. And it's the exact same idea here. Paul says the church is God's temple. That means the church is the place where God especially resides on this earth. Remember, it's not a physical building. It's not a physical building, but it is this building. It is the people of God who are the temple of God. Those who build the church well will be rewarded. Those who build it poorly will get by by the skin of their teeth on the last day. But woe to anyone who seeks to destroy it. Now, what have we seen so far? 
First of all, God gives the growth. But that does not mean that Christians, and Christian leaders especially, aren't responsible. They will be held to account on the last day. And what's the last thing Paul says? Well, look at verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there, and we're not going to cover all of it. You'll be glad to hear. But what is Paul saying here? Well, it's right there in verse 18, isn't it? Do not deceive yourselves. Stop thinking in a human way and start thinking like God. Become a fool that you may become wise. Isn't that exactly what he said in chapter 1? The world of the Corinthians, the city of Corinth, was built on the cult of celebrity. It was all about who you knew. knew. It was all about how wise, how important your leaders were. Paul says, stop thinking that way. He says, if you're a Christian, you have all things. So stop looking for your Stop looking for the church to grow based on the wisdom, the intelligence of your leaders. You have all things. God has given those leaders to you. He has given you Christ himself. So stop thinking the world's way and start thinking God's way. What is the church about? Is it about about identifying with the most profound, the most charismatic, the most edgy leader? whether it's Paul, Apollos, Peter, or anyone else? No. The church is about growing. Growing for Jesus. Because the church belongs to Jesus. How will the church grow? Will it grow by recruiting more leaders for your favorite preacher? For your favorite political position? For whatever it is, the things that people divide over? Is that how the church will grow? No. God gives the growth. The church is still responsible. They still need to build properly using the right materials. But it's God who gives the growth. Stop thinking in human ways and start thinking like God. God gives the growth. Christian leaders and all Christians are still accountable. Stop thinking in a human way. Start thinking God's way. In other words, align your thinking with the Bible. Don't align the Bible with your thinking. Let's pray. Father, we give you great thanks uh, for the immense comfort that it is to know that you are the one who will grow your church. We thank you that you are a sovereign God. Lord, we thank you that we can pray to you to see people converted, to see people grow in their love of the lo- love and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. 
You are sovereign, and so we can ask you for that, and we thank you for that. Father, we pray that as we do the work of ministry that you have assigned to each one of us, that we would work faithfully, that you would remind us that we are accountable, uh, the leaders especially, for what you've given us. Father, I pray that all of us would think your way and not our own way, not the way of the world. Father, we know that that only happens by the gift of your Spirit, and we ask uh, for that, that, you would use, that by your Holy Spirit you would align our thinking uh, with your thinking. And we ask all of this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.